Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Thank you again, Larry, for being with us today. The purpose of this series, we're looking at the baptism of Jesus today, by the way. The purpose of this series is to help us understand the meaning of baptism in all its forms and to obey the Lord's command concerning believers' baptism. Ah, boy, the rain's here, isn't it? Sounds good. You know what's the best about that rain? Is that it's outside and we're inside. Unless you're sitting where Gene is, and occasionally it rains in right where you're sitting. So if it does, you'll just have to scoot down. After the christening of his baby brother in church, little Johnny sobbed all the way back home in the back seat of the car. His father asked him three times what was wrong, and little Johnny just would not respond to his dad. And after a fourth time of asking, Johnny finally broke his silence, and he said, that preacher said that he wanted us raised up in a Christian home, and I want to stay with you guys. You know, it was a roll of the dice when I put it in there, and uh, <clears throat> it just came up snake eyes, evidently. Thank, well, not thankfully, but uh, we do not practice. Uh, well, thankfully, if we had little Johnny in the church, we don't practice uh, infant baptism in the Baptist church. That's not part of uh, the DNA of, of our church. As we said, the baptism that I have said already, the baptism practiced in the Baptist church is a believer's baptism. It's very important that you understand that it's a believer's baptism. Jesus is our example in baptism. The first message of this series was the baptism in Jesus. And you'll recall that we spoke of the Holy Spirit of God baptizing us into the body of Christ. If you missed that message, I hope you'll go to our website, nflchurch.com, and that you'll pull that up in the archived messages and you'll view that message. Now, this is the third of a four-part series, and this is titled, The Baptism of Jesus. Every believer should be baptized and follow both the example and the command of Jesus Christ. Baptism is all about the gospel. It's a reflection of the gospel, a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of the death of an old life and the birth of a new life when we're born again. That's why it's believer's baptism. Not our text, but Romans 6 and verse 4 says, We are buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So with this as our background, I want us to see the baptism of Jesus as it is relayed in the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I want to stop there and ask you to remember that because we're going to come right back to it. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, 
make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And all of and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Well, let's get right into the message and see, first of all, the prophesied gospel. Mark begins his account, as we just said, with the declaration that this was the telling of the gospel. That was verse 1. I ask you to take special note of that. In verse 2, he makes a restatement of Old Testament prophecy. Very important for you to understand that what's about to happen has been uh, stated in the Old Testament. Here's the restatement of Old Testament prophecy in verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. So not only do we have that prophecy, the one in Isaiah, but we have a similar prophecy in the book of Malachi. Let's go back and look at those two prophecies from the Old Testament. First, the one that is referenced in our text from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a way for God. There's the prophecy in Old Testament being fulfilled in New Testament in the book of Mark. Again, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Old Testament prophecy fulfilled in this New Testament setting. John the Baptist fulfills that prophecy. Again, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. From Matthew's gospel, chapter 3 and verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Very interesting. Old Testament prophecy fulfilled in New Testament actions. Now, we'll see more about John the Baptist later, but it is absolutely worth noting that the prophecy of the Old Testament was fulfilled, watch this, entirely and literally in this New Testament setting. Not figuratively and not partially, but entirely and literally in this New Testament setting. And here's the value of that. That tells me, and it ought to tell anyone who believes the Old Testament and the New Testament, that the prophecy of the New Testament will be fulfilled entirely and literally. So the prophecy of the Bible is not just suggestions, it's literal 
pre-telling of events that will definitely happen, as is the case we see from Isaiah to the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. To believe in the second coming of Jesus is certainly no more outrageous than to believe in the first coming of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus. So, the ministry of John and the baptism of Jesus were part of the prophecy of the gospel as stated in the Old Testament, the prophecy of the gospel. Now, here's the second thing, the prophet of the gospel. Are you already getting jazzed up a little bit because everything's going to start with a P? Aren't you a little bit excited about that? Once again, it takes a long time. Just once in my lifetime, I'd like for people to be in awe that uh, I'm able to come up with this. I don't think it's going to be today, but I'm still working on it. The prophet of the gospel. While the Bible tells us that we should preach the whole counsel of God, oftentimes pastors, teachers, evangelists, and so on, have an, an aspect of the Bible that becomes the theme of their preaching. That happens all the time, where someone will be a, a preacher of the gospel, and there will be a certain aspect of the gospel that becomes a theme of their normal preaching. Now, I'm not sure if you would say that uh, you have detected a trend in my preaching. I, you may or you may have not preach, detected a a trend in my preaching. I will say this, if I know anything about my preaching, my preaching is, the trend of my preaching is that it's extremely practical. It is extremely applicable to your life. I tried, since all of my ministry, I've tried to reach as high on the shelf as I could possibly get and grab those biblical truths and bring them down for a, on a practical level so that we can all uh, understand it. My belief is that a child should be able to understand the clarity of the Bible. So that might be my theme. But regardless, people do have and preachers do have themes. I have known and do know preachers whose message is almost always related to missions. They almost always will speak of missions. Others are prophetic uh, preachers. Some are pathetic preachers, but there are others who are prophetic preachers. Uh, preachers. This morning, I was uh, flipping through the channels, and I came across someone, and I'm surprised that he's still alive. Uh, and and I, I, I really am. I'm surprised that he's still alive, but he's still preaching. And he's still preaching exactly the same kind of message that I remember him from when I was early in the ministry. I had him in my church in Nashville and, and hosted him there in Nashville. And many of you will know the name when I say it. He's Dr. Jack Van Empey. Does anybody know the name Jack Van Empey? Would you raise your hand? Jack Van Empey to this day is still preaching the prophetic truth of the Bible. There's some preachers who their theme is discipleship or leadership or stewardship and so on. John had a theme to his message. His, his theme was that he was one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. I like to think of John as the first street preacher. I like to think of John as the first guy that stood out on a corner somewhere and just called people in and said, let me talk to you about the Lord. I'm going to do a lot of reviewing today, so let's go back and see him preaching. John appeared, this is verse 4, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sin. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached saying, here's his theme, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the prophet of the gospel, and let's start first of all with the vessel. Who is this guy, John the Baptist? Well, first of all, John the Baptist was rough cut. He was absolutely rough cut. I just read it. I'm not going to read it again. Verse 6, he wore camel's hair. He had on a leather belt of some kind. He ate locust and and wild honey. I can appreciate the wild honey. I can't get into the locust, but I guess he did. That's perfectly fine. I picture, I like to picture people in the Bible, and I have a picture of John the Baptist. Now, I'm going to show you a picture of someone that I know. I'm going to show you a picture of someone who's very dear in my life, someone that I really care about, someone that I have known uh, longer than I've known any of you except for Mrs. Ray. Uh, I'm going to show you a picture of a guy who's wonderful. Here he is right here. See that guy right there? When I think of John the Baptist, I picture this guy that was in my church in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, his life to me and his presence just looked like John the Baptist. His name is Tommy Hart. And believe you me, he is, he was, and still is a man's man. I want you to look at the hands on that dude. They look like country hams, don't they? I mean, big old giant hands. And those hands were hard from work. And Tommy was uh, the first man in our church in Nashville when we started that church back on July the 4th, 1976. I absolutely adored this man. Uh, I'm sure he's retired by now. He worked for the Nashville Electric Service. And he and his wife, Terry, were early pioneers with Jan and I as we started that church on our country's bicentennial birthday. Now, let me tell you about Tommy. Tommy hunted, Tommy fished, Tommy camped, uh, Tommy hiked. If it was outdoors, Tommy absolutely did it. He was that guy who could do anything related to the outdoors and the hardest working man I have ever known. I'm certain that you are hardworking, but you cannot possibly be more hardworking than Tommy Hart. The real blessing about Tommy Hart, and uh, Mrs. Ray will remember this, was his tremendous heart for Jesus. You talk about a guy who absolutely loves Jesus, that's Tommy Hart. I cannot remember a single gathering or a need or an offering where Tommy was not an eager participant in it. My guess is that when I go to heaven and I see John the Baptist, I'll be able to say to John the Baptist, you remind me of Tommy Hart. Because Tommy Hart was that rough-cut guy who stood boldly for the message of Jesus Christ. The vessel John the Baptist was rough-cut. Let me tell you this about his message. It was real clear. 
Tommy uh, or, or John the Baptist was not the least bit vague about his message. The vessel was abundantly clear as he did the work of God. When he saw those who were opposed to the work of God, he didn't pull any punches. I want to skip to another gospel and see, show you a little story here. Matthew 3 and verse 5. This is still John the Baptist. And each of the uh, gospels will give a little detail that the other one may not give. And you put them together and you see some wonderful truth that you may not see otherwise. In verse 5, then Jerusalem, this is Matthew 3 and verse 5, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sin. Now look at verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now let me just say, if you have the spiritual gift of mercy, you do not appreciate what John the Baptist just said. However, John the Baptist was a prophet of God. He was a preacher and a prophet of God. And let me tell you this, this was before the day of political correctness. He knew nothing of political correctness. Could I just tell you that if Politico decided to write a story on him, they'd really do a hatchet job on him. This was before the day of political correctness. John's message was that they should repent of their sins and they should be baptized, symbolizing a baptism that was about to happen, that he knew would happen by the prophecy of the, of the Word. Mark chapter 1 and verse 8, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What is that baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, this is the baptism that we spoke of in the very first message. This is the baptism that places us into the body of Christ. It takes you, and when you repent of your sin and you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, here's what happens. You are baptized by the Holy Spirit in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes you and plunges you into the body of Christ. You become a part of the body of Christ. You become a part of what is often referred to as the universal church, but it is most definitely and clearly the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit plunges that repentant believer into the body of Christ. John's baptism was a prophetic baptism. He knew that it was pointed uh, uh, to another, and that was that represents the veneration. You have the vessel, you have the venue, and you have the veneration all coming around this prophet of the gospel. Verse 7, and he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now, I want you to think about that statement. That's a big deal right there. There's someone coming after me who is so mighty and and who is so great, I wouldn't even be worthy to untie the straps of that one's sandals. Now, John the Baptist is proclaiming that the one he's preaching about is so wonderful that he wouldn't even consider doing uh, that kind of thing if Jesus were to come into his house and need to, uh, to wash his feet. Now, certainly he would do it, but he just didn't feel that he was worthy. He, he, he didn't feel that he was the kind of 
person that was worthy enough to even touch the feet or the shoes of the feet on the feet of Jesus Christ. Little did he know that as these words were being spoken, the very one about whom he was speaking was walking up. You ever been talking about somebody? No, preacher, we don't talk about people, all right? Have you ever known someone who was talking about somebody? And uh, as they were talking about them, they, that person walked into the room or that person ended up being behind them or that person, you know, you ever, ever had that uncomfortable situation? Oh, we were just talking about you. You know, that kind of a thing. Well, similarly, this is what happened with John the Baptist because John the Baptist is speaking of Jesus and Jesus absolutely walks up. Now, we have seen the prophecy of the gospel. We have seen the prophet of the gospel. Let's see now the proof of the gospel. Now we have placed ourselves on the scene. We're there, okay? Earlier, Larry said, I want to place you on the scene. And and he placed us all at uh, the Florida State University campus. And we had uh, uh, green New Testaments in our hand. And uh, we were trying to give them out. And, and he shared with you how three different Muslims approached. And one approached and said, no thanks. And the other one approached and said, I'll take one. And the third approached and asked the question, uh, is it true that Jesus, that Jesus said he was the Son of God? And that person answered that question. And then the Gideon uh, Bible was given. By the way, Larry, aren't you really impressed that I totally remembered all of that? I want to tell you something that's really great. I didn't remember to put socks on this morning, but I was able to remember your story. No, I got socks. Okay. I just, uh, but anyway, I was kind of impressed with it myself. That's why I said something about it. But uh, so here we are, and, and we're on the scene. There are seekers of God. There are curiosity seekers. There are people of all ages from far and wide coming to hear this this roughneck preacher. He's calling out repentance and he's telling of a Savior. He's telling of the Messiah to come. And something unexpected by the crowd, even the preacher himself, is about to happen. Jesus is going to be baptized. Look at verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn apart and the Spirit, the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now let's look at two or three things here and we're finished. First of all, let's look at the wonder of this moment. Uh, For more on what took place on this day, let's go back to John's gospel in verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, wouldn't that be something? I have a very uh, dear friend who is with the Lord now. His name is David Busby. David Busby uh, was one of, in my opinion, one of the most powerful servants of God that I've ever known. God uh, took him at an early age. I think he was in his mid-40s, I think 44. And, uh, and David and I were extremely cl- close. Uh, best friends in high school, uh, <clears throat> roommates in college. Uh, I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding. Uh, abs- my, my wife, uh, Jan, and I had our first date as a double date 
with David and the, the lady that he ended up marrying. Her name was Lawana. David used to preach and he used to say, you know what I want to be doing? <clears throat> I want to be telling somebody about Jesus Christ when Jesus comes. And I want to be able to uh, see them come to know Jesus. And, and when they pray to receive Jesus, Jesus come and we go up and, and I point to him and I say, there he is now. David used to talk about that, and it gave me a little holy chill when he would say that kind of thing. That's exactly what happened to John the Baptist. John was preaching, and he said, there he is now, the one that I'm preaching. Behold, the one who's going to take away the sins of the, of the world. There he is now. What a surprise. What an outstanding moment. Sadly, we often meet with little expectation of the appearance of Jesus. Quite honestly, I don't know if you came today expecting the Lord to show up. I don't know if you came to this service today expecting God to show up. Here's what you said. Well, I guess I better show up. Well, I guess we need to show up. Well, uh, I wonder who's going to show up. And we talked about <clears throat> showing up. But the question is this. Did you drive on this property today? Did you leave your home today expecting that the Lord was going to show up in this service? Did you come here today expecting that you might hear it not from a preacher, but from Jesus? Not from my words, but from the Holy Spirit of God <clears throat> speaking into your heart. I think that all of us should come to God's house and a preacher should preach expecting Jesus to show up. When Jesus showed up wanting to be baptized, John was <clears throat> stunned and, and showed that even more in Matthew's gospel when he said in Matthew 3.14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and <clears throat> do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, that is John the Baptist, consented. So Jesus <clears throat> had come to the riverside to hear the preaching <clears throat> and to be baptized. The proof of the gospel had come to the water. This is an amazing thing, folks. This is absolutely amazing. Verse 9, <clears throat> in those days, excuse me, <clears throat> in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, our next sermon is going to be about who <clears throat> should be baptized and when they should be baptized and how they should be baptized. And you get a pretty good hint of the next Sunday's sermon uh, simply by what was shown here in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 3.16. And when Jesus <clears throat> was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Now, Jesus went into the water, and Jesus came up out of the water. I don't think it's a stretch to see that Jesus was baptized by immersion in the Jordan River. Now, why did he do so? Why would Jesus submit to baptism? He made no confession of sins, now, here's what the Bible said concerning uh, John the Baptist, that he was baptizing people. They were confessing their sins. Jesus didn't confess his sin. Jesus didn't come to the, to the water's edge and say, I, <clears throat> I believe that the Holy Spirit of God is coming and is going to place me into uh, the, the church 
and I want to confess my sins and be baptized and looking forward to the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He had no sins to confess. Jesus was without sin. Why then was he baptized? Well, it could have been an act of obedience, showing that he was in full agreement with the uh, Father's plan and the role of John's baptism in it. It could be an act of, of dedication to his messianic <clears throat> mission, uh, signify his, signifying his official uh, acceptance and entrance into his messianic <clears throat> mission. It certainly was an act of humility and example. It certainly was that. It may have been a lot of other things, but it <clears throat> certainly was an act of humility and example. And l- let me just say this. There are, I think, <clears throat> a few reasons that people do not get baptized after they're saved. I think one reason is confusion. I think they say, well, I was baptized when I was a baby, or I was baptized when I was a child, or I was baptized uh, 20 years ago. Well, when did you get saved? Oh, I got saved five years ago, and I'm so glad I'm saved, born again, on my way to heaven. And they're confused, thinking that what appeared to be a baptism earlier in their lives was a baptism. Now, I, I, I was a little more crass about these kind of things when I was younger, but I'm not quite as crass today. I'm still plenty crass, but not as crass as I, I was <clears throat> back in, in those days. L- let me say something to you. That's, that's confusion. That's just confusion. And, and no, I'm not, nobody's going to blame you for being confused about that. But baptism follows salvation. We've already seen enough of that today in the fact that we are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And baptism then is a believer's baptism. It says, look what's happened in my life. I have received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And and on and on it goes. We're going to see more about that in, in just a moment. But it's very, very important that we understand that baptism follows salvation. So one reason I think people get confused about it. Here's the second thing. I think some people are afraid. <clears throat> They're afraid of the water. Um, they, they are. And, and, I, and I, I, I don't belittle that. I know that there are people who, who just, they, they, they have a phobia about that. They have a phobia about placing their, their, themselves under the water. There is a, a genuine phobia about that. And, and I appreciate that and I understand that. And, and I'm going to say this to you. If, if that is your concern, then I'm going to ask you to, uh, to, to call me or come see me or email me, randyray at nflchurch.com. And, and let's, set, let's set a time, and I will take you and show you exactly how this baptism thing works. And I believe that it will help to eradicate some of the fears. And I don't belittle your fears, but, but I, I, I would say this. Look, we serve God beyond our fears. Could I say this? There are a lot of people that do not give to the Lord. They do not tithe. And the reason they don't tithe is the same reason some people don't get baptized. They're afraid. They're afraid to do that. If I tithe, then there won't be enough. And and I'm here to tell you that according to the Word of God, that if you tithe, there'll be more than enough, especially if you follow His principles concerning giving. So why do people fail to be baptized? Sometimes because they're confused. Sometimes because they're afraid. And, and I'll say this, and I say it lovingly, but sometimes there's a pride factor. 
they, they just, well, you know, I've been saved a long time. I don't want to get baptized now. Well, why not? We're going to find out next week that baptism is an ordinance of the church. You know what else is an ordinance of the church? The Lord's Supper. Now, some of you have been, been saved for, uh, you know, ever since Moses was a baby. And <clears throat> you've been saved a long time. But when we have the Lord's Supper, you don't hesitate and say, well, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I've been saved so long. It's embarrassing for me to do. No, it's not. It's an ordinance of the church. It's an obedience to the Lord. And I would encourage you, and we'll talk more about that next week, but I would encourage you in that regard. Certainly, Jesus humbled himself as he was baptized. After the baptism of Jesus came the proof of his deity, and that uh, came by way of the Word, Mark chapter 1 and verse 10. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn apart, the heavens being uh, torn apart, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. In Matthew's Gospel, verse 17 of Matthew 3, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Luke chapter 3 and verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice uh, came from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Now think about this. The Father expressed his pleasure in the baptism of Jesus. Jesus didn't have any sins to confess. Jesus didn't have a church to join. Jesus didn't need to be put into the body of Christ. He is the body of Christ. He was baptized for whatever reason he was baptized, including to be our example. And here's what the Father said. The Father said, this is my son. Son, I'm, I'm pleased with you. I am pleased with you. Let me ask you, do you think he would be pleased with your baptism too? Do you think that he would be pleased to know that you sat in a sermon and heard about the baptism of his son and said, you know, I have not been baptized since I was saved. Do you think he would be pleased with that? I'm certain that there are some here who have not been baptized the way that Jesus was and after you came to know him as your Savior. There may be some here who are already who are ready now uh, to make him your Lord and Savior, and I hope that there are. Baptism doesn't take you to heaven. Listen to this. Baptism doesn't take you to heaven any more than baptism made Jesus the Son of God. Jesus was already the Son of God. And we're baptized when we have been already saved by grace through faith in Him. If you have been born again, I urge you to present yourself for baptism. We're going to give an invitation. The invitation is going to be here in just about a minute. Here's what I want you to know. If you decide that you would like to present yourself for believer's baptism. Let's say, let's, let's put it like this. Let's say that, that uh, there's, um, uh, there's a family and, there, and two of you have been baptized and, and there's four of you in the family. And the other two would like to be baptized. The two that haven't been baptized since they were saved would like to be baptized. 
And here's what could happen. It could absolutely happen. And there's, not, there's nothing wrong with this. Those of you who have been baptized because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ could say to the rest of your family, hey, you know what? I'd like to be baptized with you. But haven't you already been baptized? Oh, yes, I've taken the Lord's Supper many times as well. There won't be anything wrong with me identifying with Jesus Christ again in believer's baptism. You say, well, can you do that? Well, certainly. Well, I mean, what does it do to your salvation? (laughs) Well, nothing. Salvation comes by our being placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. I would encourage you. And if you don't make that decision today, I would encourage you to talk about that decision and to to plan next Sunday when I speak on the subject of believer's baptism to respond to that invitation and to say, we want to or I want to present myself for believer's baptism. Here's what we'll ask you. Do you know for sure that you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? You know for sure that you're saved. And you want to be baptized and you want to live your life for Jesus Christ. And then we'll schedule a time for your baptism. And if you want to know more about it, you can come and see me during the week and I'll take you. I'll do a dry run and an empty baptistry for you. I'll do whatever I can to help you to obey the Lord and to be happy about it.